Hi, this is Rachel Angerl. You may remember me as Commander Non on Star Trek Discovery. You're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. This week, we're meeting an actress who has been one of the few people to portray a particular alien species from the Star Trek universe, and her portrayal of this character has led to her becoming quite a fan favorite. Rachel and Cheryl plays Lieutenant Nan on Star Trek Discovery, first seen in Season 2 as a member of Pike's Enterprise crew, and then choosing to stay on board the Discovery ship for Season 3 to join them in the future. Nan is a Barzan, and if that alien sounds unfamiliar to you, don't worry too much about that. There's only been one other appearance of them in the franchise, and that was way back in the third season of a TNG episode titled The Price. As for Nan, though, she's appeared in over a dozen episodes between season two and three of Discovery, and viewers got to witness an entire character arc happen across those episodes to bring us a true start-to-finish tale that saw Nan discover who she really was. It was quite an unexpected ride, not just for viewers, but also for the actress. Beyond Star Trek, you may have seen Rachel in shows and films like Team Epic, Rookie Blue, Heroes Are Born, The Art of More, Winona Earp, Mary Kills People, and these days, Nurses. Now, a quick disclaimer here, this interview happened well before Star Trek Discovery Season 4 came out, so whether or not she shows up in this season or in the future, we didn't know that at the time, and we certainly couldn't talk about it. So excluding any appearances she may or may not have in Season 4 and beyond, consider this an examination of the entire arc of Nan as told by the actress herself, along with all of the experiences that Rachel has had that were built into this character and informed who she became on screen. So silence your alert systems and turn your comm badge off. Let's get ready to not just learn about Lieutenant Nan, but all about Rachel Ancheril. But before we begin this week's episode, if you'd like to support this show, please don't forget to follow Trek Untold on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get the latest updates and all sorts of other fun Star Trek-related content. You can also check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can check out the shows before they come out, know about my guests in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, among other benefits coming soon. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, who create 3D printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing, but you're going to hear a little bit more about them later on in the show. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platform that allows for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. If you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. Doing any of those things help keep this show growing and allow me to continue bringing you awesome guests and great conversations every single week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the screen, we've got everybody's favorite Barzan. That's Rachel Antrell. Rachel, how's it going today? It's so good. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for coming here today. You know, you're one of those characters who kind of really grew on me from the moment you first stepped on screen in Discovery to how your basically story ended. Like, you had such an arc, and, uh, you know, that's really one of the best things about talking to you is that you basically got to have a full arc. And uh, whether or not you show up in later seasons doesn't matter because we got a lot to discuss on your two seasons with Discovery. First things first, Rachel, I got to ask you the same question I like to start this interview with with all my guests, and that's, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? earliest memory of Star Trek, I would have to say, is um, is we used to live in an old farmhouse, and I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday mornings, my mom would always have Star Trek on, the original series, and uh, we'd be watching it together, getting chores done, but watching it together, so there's that, and I also remember my mom, I've said this before, but she had this uh, pink suitcase that she had since she was a kid and in it had all the original headshots and autographs of every single character from the original series this is how diehard of a fan my mom was when she was younger and she kept those for years and years I wish I knew what happened to them now because that would be really fun find but uh yeah those two definitely earliest memories Wow, that is amazing. That's some true devotion right there to have a suitcase filled with the autographs. I want to see those. Yeah, I know. If I ever find it, you and I, it's a date. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about uh, where you lived as a kid, what your parents did, and what little Rachel wanted to be when she grew up? <laughs> um, well, I grew up in the country, about an hour outside of uh, Toronto. My mom was a horsey person, so I grew up with uh, a lot of animals from a very young age. And I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background. That is our our latest rescue that we brought home, getting curled up beside me and making a ruckus. So I apologize about that. Um, They're the newest fan of Trek Untold, obviously. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A little, fa- uh, a little uh, fond of grudge as well. I think he's <laughs> staring at the screen. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I I grew up outside of the city, and I. I don't, you know, like every kid, I had a bunch of different things I wanted to be when I was younger. It was a astronaut for a little while. I wanted to be the first female major league baseball player for a while. I was really into sports. Um, I, I don't think I ever thought of acting as a, as a job, but um, yeah, that didn't come until way later. So um, yeah, a lot of things, but nothing that really stuck until high school, I guess. I had heard another interview that you had thoughts also about being like a police officer as well. Is that something that was happening this time in your life? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I went to an arts high school and I was uh, denied into the drama program, which is what I wanted to be in. But I was denied in this program like two or three times. But my mom and my grandparents as well were big fans of the school because it was a really, really good school. So they had me audition for everything, dance which was useless. Music, can't play an instrument to save my life. Singing would shatter every glass. Uh, But art, I I was pretty good with art and I made it into that arts program. But about halfway through that, for some reason, I decided I wanted to be a police officer. And I think that was just because I grew up in the country. So I I was around dogs and horses all the time. So um, the police officer thing was the, the love I have for people, but also for animals and being able to work in a professional environment with animals and, and mounted unit specifically because mounted unit, you are um, it's good community relations uh, when you're in mounted unit. So you've got to, you know, you're getting out there in communities that don't necessarily have the best relationship maybe with police or they're worried about police. Um, but you bring the horses in and, 
we can chat with the kids. And, and so really that's, that's what I, I really wanted to do. That's really kind of interesting because you know, you're talking about working uh, as a police officer or something you, you are considering. And really what you're saying is it's at least and what it sounds like to me is that, you know, you were less interested in the enforcement of law, part of law enforcement, but more about the community aspect of being that police officer and being that that person that people can look up to and kind of follow around to, I guess, be, be an example how to live. Is that, does that sound right? Absolutely. And if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I got, you know, when I was younger, I got in a bit of trouble, especially when my parents were splitting up. So I was a bit of an angry kid, like a, you know, preteen and, and, uh, or early teen. And, um, and there was a police officer that I actually dealt with. And after he made me sob like a baby, uh, he, he had a really good heart to heart talk with me. And he, you know, he basically said, you have, you have a choice in your life. You can go one of two ways at this point in your life. And it was, I mean, it's been many years later and I still think of him and I still think of what an impact he made on my life. And so I always thought that with police is that that's sort of the idea I wanted to have with kids too, is to, um, like be a good inspiration, not really an inspiration, but a good example, um, a friendly adult in a position of, I guess, authority, um, but opening up communication and, and letting kids know that they're heard and it doesn't matter, you know, what you're going through in your life. There's always, there's always good things that can come and, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of a long winded answer, but, uh, I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, it totally did. I mean, it really sounds like you had a sort of roundabout way to get into the performing arts. So I'm kind of curious now, you know, here we are, uh, let's say it's graduation day of high school. What's Rachel's next step? I mean, are you going to university to pursue acting or what's next for you? Oh, yeah. So no, acting still hadn't come around at this point. Um, so I, I, yeah, I was hell bent on being a police officer. I did a co-op where I was working in a police station in uh, victim services which was a very enlightening experience, especially at a really young age. Um, and um, so I went to college to, I graduated young. So I went to college to, um, to do law enforcement. I, I needed some life experience under my belt. You can go straight from high school and apply for the police force, but it's, if you're really young, it's not recommended because you're, you know, you, you need to really grow as a human being yourself before I think being put into a position like that. And uh, so I went to college for two years and then I started working in various forms of security. I did uniform undercover. Um, um, I, yeah. And then right as I was about to do my police exam, there was a centralized police exam. And, and a couple of months before I was supposed to do that, um, which is what I'd been working towards, I, I was right in the middle of a, a seven car collision and I, and I broke my leg. And so I wasn't able to do my physical. I could have done my written, but I wasn't able to do my physical. And then I got really scared, to be honest with you. I, I, you know, when you're young and you have sort of this sense of, I'm going to live forever and, and I have my whole life ahead of me. And then after I got injured so badly, um, I, and my recovery time, there was a lot of time to think and, I got, I got really aware of my own mortality, let's say. And, um, I, I didn't know if I would make it through the police force. I didn't know if that was a good choice for me. So, um, I switched gears <laughs> and, uh, 
Um, I ended up getting into, um, I went back to school. I was in a cast and uh, I took fashion design because uh, my background was in visual arts from high school and uh, I wanted to be an illustrator. I thought oh, I'll be an illustrator for designers and maybe magazines. And, um, and then I started working in the corporate world and the nine to five sitting at a desk was just not happening for me that it felt like it was taking my soul away. So I, I uh, found an agent and I thought, oh, maybe I can do some commercial print on the side and get something else going to get me out of this corporate world. And I met an agent who said, no, you are definitely not a model, which I never thought I was. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, she said, well, why don't you give a try at acting? And then within the first month with her, I started booking stuff. And then I just kept, I, I left the corporate world and I went back to a museum I used to work at when I was a kid and worked there and another museum. And I kind of had a whole bunch of different, I had a job in a bridal shop. I had all these different things kind of cooking while I was trying to pay my dues, you know, doing student films and non-unions and, and trying to make a career out of this. I felt like I was a little bit behind because so many people, you know, in the industry went to really amazing theater schools and they went to university for acting or film and, so I felt like I was a little behind the ball. So I, I kind of unorthodox did a different route. <laughs> yeah, you're basically just kind of being thrust in there with, you know, limited formal training, essentially. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I had some great acting teachers. Um, I, had, I think I went, there's about four teachers that I had gone through, but one who I adored and I stayed with her for a really long time until she moved away. Um to enjoy her retirement. <laughs> so I, I can't begrudge her that, but, uh, but, but yeah, it was, uh, I definitely, you know, they, you know what they say with, with education is that like a year in the field is worth two in school. So I, I, I did really learn a lot of stuff very quickly and, uh, it, it was good. It was a good experience. Yeah. I also went to school for illustration, by the way. And so oh. I'm, I'm, I'm the person that would be like in all my meetings at jobs I'm at, where I'm just basically drawing all of my staff people out them knowing. Uh, are, you, are you doing that too, by the way? Are you like drawing in your, at table readings? Are you like just drawing all the cast members in your script or something? I would love to, but then I would be the one that's like, oh, it's my line. Oops. And then <laughs> <laughs> moving ahead in my pages to uh, do that. But I, I used to, I, especially on Trek, actually, I was, um, I was, I'd be doodling or sketching during downtimes because we had, you know, because the sets are so huge and setups are very huge. So we'd have a lot of time. So I, yeah, doodling was one of the things for sure. For sure. That's so cool though. I'd love to see your illustrations. That's awesome. Oh yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll have to do a trade. I want to see what you're doodling on, uh, on the Star Trek set. That's, that's definitely yes. something I'm very interested in seeing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do you remember what your first paid professional gig was? I don't know if that was a student film or a commercial, but do you remember what it was and what you did for it? My first paid gig. Uh, my first, Ooh, I feel like I have to pull up IMDb and go way back to see first paid. Okay. So my first, I think my first real gig where I had a sort of substantial role, um, that's the one that sticks out for me, student films and non-union you'd maybe get a hundred bucks a day if that, and you'd be driving all over the place. So, uh, I don't know that I would call those professional or paid gigs. <laughs> um, but my first gig where yeah substantial role was in a show called king which only went for two seasons um but i had 
such an amazing time on that set. So do you remember anything that you learned from it that you kind of continue to use this day or something that like left an impact on you for future things that you would be on set for? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, I think I learned so much in the, stu- like I said before, in the student films and the, and the non-unions and independents I've learned, you know, cause those are smaller sets. So I learned a lot more about how everything comes together and works. But I think when it comes to professional gig um, on King, I absolutely adored the number one who is Amy Price Francis. I adored the whole cast actually. And they were really, really good to me. And I was like a deer in headlights. I was so nervous. And Amy was so kind and so open and generous. And she set the example of what a really good number one is on a show. And so she's sort of been the one that I have every set I've been on since, you know, it, it really, it comes from the top. If you have an amazing group at the top executive producers and all the way down through the number one on the cast and all the way down, like that, that energy trickles down and it sort of sets the stage, if you will, of, of what the experience is like. So really happy and warm sets you can tell it just the energy is better. So it's a lot easier to work and it's a lot easier to just let go and focus on what you're there for without worrying about other stuff. So yeah, Amy, Amy Price Francis is an amazing woman. And I, I still think about her and I think it's been like 15, 14 or 15 years. And I still remember her and also the director on that episode. I, I attribute him to like giving me my first real shot because he was so good to me. And then two weeks later, he brought me in for um, just a really quick spot on the listener. And that was two of the six credits I needed to get into the union. So right there, he, you know, he just gave me the shot and, and it really, that started opening up doors for me. So, Yeah. Now, I know that you played a cop a few times in your career, uh, and I want to talk about one of those particular instances, which I think might have been like a pretty big break for you. Uh, and that was your time as Marlo Cruz on Rookie Blue. And that's I think that's probably like your first recurring character, right? That is that was my first series regular gig. Yeah. And you want to talk. I want to talk about nerves. Like, I, you know, I'm saying oh, I was so nervous on King Rookie Blue. I remember the first my first day working. I think they were picking me up at like 5 a.m. And I was in such a panic. And I remember brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, how can I get out of this? Because the pressure felt so strong. Um, (laughs) So, yes, Rookie Blue is very memorable to me indeed. Yes. And you also got to uh, be pregnant for part of that, too, (laughs) which was probably an interesting experience. I did. Yes, I did. That was uh, that was a good time. I mean, I think um, Marlo, it was a again, there's another person who opened up doors for me. And that is Tassie Cameron. She was a showrunner of Rookie Blue and she really believed in me and they all did, but she, um, I would walk through hot coals to work with that lady. She is, she's incredible. And Rookie Blue also to play a character with a mental illness, which is something that I had never given really a lot of thought to, um, you know, I, I thought of mental illness and thought, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's got to be really hard. But once I started researching and understanding, um, my empathy grew like a million times because I, I learned so much about that character and also the people who were suffering from mental illnesses, the amount of people that reached out to me 
and because that character made an impact on them was was priceless like that is just something I could have only hoped for and so that was a very intense and amazing experience for me yeah and the pregnancy by the time the pregnancy came around um that show also was my intro to fandoms um and very um strong fandoms I mean Trek is that's a strong fandom for sure uh rookie uh because I was the other woman and I also was pregnant and so um I learned about shipping, about what that meant, and I didn't know about that. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Time, yeah, that was a, an ex- that's an experience. I tell you, it's an experience. But, but who did they say was your OTP? Oh, their OTP was Sam and Andy, and Marlo was the the total, you know, expletive, expletive, expletive that got <laughs> in the way. You know, so <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're the actor that's coming in to interfere with that, it it, it can be tough. Yeah. Tough. Now, what's really cool too, looking through your resume, is there's a lot of shows uh, that you've worked on with folks who we've actually talked to, in fact, on Trek Untold, and a lot of shows <laughs> that like a lot of the folks who did Discovery have also been on, like Mary Kills People, uh, Killjoys, uh, a bunch of different things here. But in particular, there's actually one show you worked on uh, that has a pretty notable Trek person, at least a notable Trek person now, and that's Jerry O'Connell, who is Lieutenant <laughs> Ransom or Dex, and you did an episode of a show called Carter with him. So you got any Jerry O'Connell stories for us, Rachel? <laughs> Oh, I think he is so funny. I've always thought he was funny. I remember watching him in sliders. Like I just, I just love that. Like his, his humor and he's like that in real life. He's also incredibly kind. And I remember we were sitting on set just in between setups and he goes, he comes up to me, he goes, Oh, you're so funny. And that was like getting an award. Like that was just the fact that Jerry O'Connell, you know, like number one on that show, but also has done comedy for so long. The fact that he said that to me, just, it just made my day. Um, and, and I love comedy. I would bend over backwards to do more comedy. So I wish I could work with him more, uh, not in Trek, but in, in like a comedic show again, but he's very kind. And and what you see is what you get. He's, he's just, yeah, he's like a big, big ball of energy and and so cool and so kind. And actually after I had done that episode, when I was back on Trek and I had wrapped out for the season and I remember going on to the enterprise set, um, which I'd never been on and saying hi to Rebecca and being like, Oh, Hey, Rebecca, uh, I'm Rachel. I play non and, uh, you left me on discovery to stay with Pike. And, uh, I also just worked <laughs> with your husband and she was so cool. It was, it was just what a cool, um, sort of bridge between the two. It was really, really neat. So yeah. Trek untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. Ranging from prop replicas to use in a fan film or cosplay to accessories or playsets for figures in all different sizes, Triple Fiction Productions has got you covered. Past pieces for toys have included large centerpieces like 10 Forward from the Enterprise D, shuttlecrafts complete with working lights, and the Voyager Bridge, with smaller pieces including Borg alcoves, the Genesis device, and the dreaded arch enemy of Worf, barrels. All highly detailed products are 3D printed and hand painted in the USA, with new items added all the time. 
while simultaneously improving their printing quality based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit triple-fictionproductions.net or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Want to get 10% off your next purchase? Use code UNTOLD10 at checkout to receive this discount. Not applicable during sales or clearance events. That's code UNTOLD10 to get 10% off action figure dioramas, accessories, and prop replicas. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. Hey, I'm Licia Nav, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG. And now, Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about drivebydogooders.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skid Row, and from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks, tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein, and a way to clean themselves, especially during Corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. We do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's 100% tax deductible. And if you click on the donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lord X or... Total Recall, where I played the three-breasted mutant hooker on Mars, and uh, that's the X-rated version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write, and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's drivebydogooders.org. Ensign, I mean, Captain Sonia Gomez, signing off. We now return to Trek Untold. All right, Rachel. Well, it's time for Black Alert because we are going on to Discovery right now. (laughs) And let's just talk about the very beginning of your time in Star Trek. And I'd love to know how you got the role. How was the audition, if you remember it? And did you actually know that you were auditioning for a Star Trek show? Um, I did. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like Toronto's a small town. You you really get to they have code names, but you it it always gets around what it is. Um, uh, so I did. I knew what I was I was auditioning for. I did one here that obviously uh, didn't pan out. And then I was in Calgary doing Winona Earp and I had to set up a self-tape. Every actor who's had to do a self-tape by themselves in a hotel room knows it's not the most fun and it's probably not the best tape. So I had like a mountain of furniture in the bathroom doorway holding my phone and I was shooting against the 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 the, uh, shower curtain um and (laughs) that audition didn't go anywhere um and then I was here back in Toronto again and then the third one came in this is for non and you know it said maybe one or two episodes it was very small and I was like yeah great let's do it and I auditioned for it and I remember leaving that audition I'm sitting in the car and heading home and there was, like I mentioned, there was code names. And this particular season, the code name included uh, the name of a, a state in in the states, right? And there is this license plate in front of me from this state, which is like in the deep south. And I thought, I wonder if that's a sign that I booked the role. And then, I, and then, boom! A couple of days later, Rachel, you booked the role. So that was that was kind of funny to see that 
just a little sign. I don't know. I might have made that up, but it was unusual to see that license plate in Toronto. Let's it was say. fate. It was fate. Yeah. <laughs> Do you recall what those other uh, two roles that you auditioned for were? The first one, no. The second one, yeah. But I don't know if I want to say what it what it was. Uh, because the person who plays it is so amazing and lovely. And she and I get along really well. And I don't think she even knew that I auditioned for it. But <laughs> it was along the same vein as Non. So that might just in itself give it away what uh, what role it was. But I think Non, that's, that's who I was meant to be with. So no regrets, no Oh, I wish this happened. No, everything played out as it should. And I got to ask now, too, knowing that your mom was such a hardcore Trekkie. I mean, when she found out, how excited was she? Was she more excited than you? Um. Okay, so this is kind of funny, too, because I didn't tell anyone in my family. Because with that show, it's very like, you can't, if, you, if you tell anyone and it gets out, then you're in trouble. You know what I mean? It was that kind of vibe. You really couldn't say anything. And because my mom was such a fan of Star Trek, I, I was scared to tell her. Um, <laughs> she doesn't live here. So um, it was a bit easier because I'd be like, you know, if I was chatting with her on the phone or whatever, it was fine. But I sent her a link to the first episode after it aired. And I was like, mom, do you see anyone familiar? And she was like, no. I was like, oh my God, my own mother doesn't recognize me. She had no clue who that was me. She had no idea that non was me. So, um, and then when she, she, she got it, she was, I mean, I think it was cool me being a red shirt too, um, you know, with her love of the original series. So yeah, she was excited for sure. Yeah. <laughs> now from the onset of this role, did you know that non was going to be a series regular coming back for more than one episode or was it kind of like, you know, here's, here's just your first appearance. That's all, you know. Um, well, I knew that I was in for a couple of episodes. Uh, it's so funny actually in the first script, how non was, uh, was I spent in the original script that I was supposed to do. I was spending a lot more time with Tilly, uh, which would have been very fun. Um, but it, it got switched around as it always does in film and TV. So, um, I, I knew I was around for a couple of episodes and I had, I had, I was booked. I was working on Killjoys as Warden Renica right after these three episodes were up. So I left Trek and then I went to Killjoys and then they had called my agent and asked if I was available. And she said, no, she's, you know, she's on this other show. And so they said, okay, well, when she's free, we're going to bring her back. And then I, I didn't really know. I can't remember if I really knew how long I was going to be back for. I think it was just, uh, I, I think it was just like episode to episode. I, I can't remember if they said, Oh, we need you for five or six or seven. Like, I can't remember okay. what it was, but it was a, it was a good deal. And then that took me. So the whole year I was working, which that never happens. It's always a plus. Um, it's always a plus. Right. And then I, and then it sort of was left up in the air of what happened with me. And I went to Mary kills people after the Christmas break. So I had like two weeks off and right into Mary kills people and then it was discussions about Trek, uh, me coming back for the following season um, after that. Yeah. Do you remember uh, what the first scene was that you actually did on Discovery? I mean, was it actually chronological for you? Was it like the first time you did the show? Was it the beam up and then walk through the corridors? Or is there a different scene that you did first? I remember being on the bridge, the first scenes that I did. And I the bridge and then, yeah, we did the we did the beaming up that day as well, I think. Um, 
yeah. So the bridge was my first impression of the Star Trek set. And oh, wow. it was impressive. Like it was, I remember being with, uh, like chatting with Emily and Patrick, cause I was on that same side of the bridge with them and just enthralled with these screens that lit up and all the stuff that was, I mean, that set deck that you're there, you feel like you're, you're on the bridge. The only thing that gives it, gives it away is the green screen. That's it. Like through the viewer, right? That's it. Everything else is real. All those graphics and everything is, it's, it's incredible. You don't have to make believe anything. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Your first episode in particular is a pretty green screen heavy episode because there's also a scene that you do with uh, Sneakwa and Anson uh, where you're in those little ships being chased yeah. by asteroids, essentially. So there's lots of green screens, lots of visual effects are going to be added in post. So I imagine for you, there's just a lot of, you know, things you have to leave up to your imagination. Uh, so did had you ever done anything like that before where it was so green screen heavy? And did you feel comfortable performing in a setting like that? I did actually, this is one of the, one of the things I did back in my non-union days when I was learning, I was in the show that, um, it, it was like a web series and it was very like gr so green screen heavy that it was, I, I, there was no point of reference except for little X's on the floor. Um, so that was my first experience of green screen. So doing Trek was so easy because it, it really, like I said, the, the bridge itself is, I mean, I, I degree like I think it's unbelievable actually how much of that is real um and not added in. So the green screen moments that I had, I mean, I remember when the four of us were walking out to our pods, that was a full green screen. Um and then being in the pod was in the green screen, but you because I was in a in like a seat, you know, it was a lot it was it wasn't as hard. I don't think it's as hard as people think it is maybe I, for me, I don't find green screen very difficult. Um, not on the star Trek setting anyway, it was, and even when we went away to the, like we were on the, was it an asteroid we were on? Um, that was a real environment that was all real. So, um, yeah, the green screen aspect, I think for me is, is, was very easy. Yeah. You mean Tignataro wasn't a hologram the whole time. She's actually real. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. She's a real person there. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, damn, I'm embarrassed. Uh, all right. So, you know, <laughs> so we know that Commander Nan is a Barzan. And that's the second Barzan to appear in Star Trek history. Uh, did you know immediately when you auditioned that you're going to be playing an alien? And uh, were you worried about doing the prosthetics for it? No. Okay. So all of that was new to me. No, I didn't ah. know. Um, I actually saw Alex was directing the first episode and he actually, after we did something, I can't remember. Oh, he was showing us footage um, or how, what the, what the storyboard was for, for a certain scene. And there was an alien that did not look like me at all that was there. And he goes, oh, that was supposed to be you. And, and it was a joke because she was green and totally different. And uh, I don't I think they I don't I can't say this for everyone, but I know with me it was sort of we're going to screen test some stuff. We're going to see what works with your face and see what doesn't. And I didn't know if I was in prosthetics or not. I didn't. I went for a. Um, uh, a contact lens fitting that fit like really big lenses and really small lenses. And, and I had a body cast done. And if you've never had a body cast done, that is one crazy experience. Um, 
I, I I thought at one point during that they could kill me and there's nothing I could do. I mean, like, cause your whole face and upper body are covered um, while they're taking a mold of you. And then all the pieces are made on your mold on your face, right? You the mold of your face, which is so amazing. So I didn't know what to expect until the screen test. And then we did the screen test and then it was trying out the different outfits and the different um, how well, the, the makeup, the prosthetics looked on my face, how well the beauty makeup was on my face, my hair, all of that stuff. So the screen test was a big, big thing. Now, can you tell us uh, how long the makeup process was every time you showed up and had to get turned into non? Yeah, it was long. Okay. So I've said this before. I really need to clarify this because I've said, oh, my makeup process was like Doug's. They're very different. The, the length of time is the same, but my Doug is in prosthetics for hours right and I was in prosthetics for an hour um, then I would go to either hair or beauty makeup that was about another hour and then again whichever hair or make beauty makeup um, the third process was another hour give or take some so it could be anywhere from three to three and a half hours they used my hair and I'm giving away a lot of secrets here uh, <laughs> about none um, they used my hair uh, and the first season I was in, and then they tried to make it easier. So they were using pieces in my hair to try to cut down the time because, um, because my process was so long. So they were trying to make it as tight as possible. And I think by the time I, my last episode, I was in, um, maybe two and a half hours, two and three quarters of an hour, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's a pretty rough amount of time there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, you know what? That's okay. The morning is okay. It's when you want to go home at night that, uh, you know, you just want to go home and you've got to go through the process of getting everything removed and that you can get antsy in the chair. You just want to get out and go <laughs> home and sleep. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on past episodes of Trek Untold, I've had the privilege of speaking to uh, some of your fellow cast members. I've chatted with Ava Blackwell, uh, with Noah Averback Katz, with David Benjamin Tomlinson just recently also, and a few other from Disco who have to do He's a my lot. Linus. Of... Yes, I'm with sorry. Linus. <laughs> <laughs> He's just Linus. That's right. There's no David. It's just Linus. No, no, no. He's my Linus. My Linus. Trust me. Next time you talk to David, you ask him about Non and, and Linus. Oh, oh non... my. Okay. <laughs> Linus is like, I think, Non's little. I don't want to say pet, but there's there's a real love there between the two of them. Oh, At right. least between us actors, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I talk to a lot of disco folks who have done characters who have a lot of heavy prosthetics and spend a lot of time in the makeup chair. And they've talked to me about the moment that they found their character, which was like really once they were completely covered in the makeup and saw themselves for the first time. And they really got lost in those characters. Now, for Nan, I, I think a lot of your actual face is still there. It's not like, you know, Ava Blackwell, where her entire head is covered up, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or Doug mm -hmm. Jones, again, where his basically his entire face, his entire body is transformed. Uh, with Nan, you can still see Rachel underneath a little bit of that. So, uh, you know, the fact that your face is still there, what was your process to transform into Nan? Like, was there a moment that it clicked for you? And uh, was it more difficult because you actually did see your face in it? Um. I, I, to be honest with you, because of my background with wanting to be a police officer and stuff, I, d I didn't really, I mean, this is going to sound bad. It's not that I didn't do stuff to prepare for non, but I relied on myself a lot. Like if I had been in the Academy, how would I have st like stood? Like you see, non is always very straight. Everything is very straight with her. It's body language more for me with non, but that's a lot of me as well. The prosthetics for me, the only thing was like, cause as you said, my, the, you know, it's only the top half, the top 
third of my face that's that's hidden. So the only thing for me was knowing how my face moved and if it impacted how things could be coming across. Um, but definitely having the prosthetics in, having my lenses in, having the breathers on, um, even the uniform itself, it the second all of that would come on, it would change. It, like I would be there, obviously, but not it would be not. Um, it was just, I think going through that process every morning of going through those three departments and then into wardrobe and then figuring out with the writers, what direction they wanted, not like it was, I, I really think it, it was all the departments involved for me that actually developed non more so than myself finding the character, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I think you made an interesting choice now that you're explaining it. Yeah, I think you made an interesting acting choice because a lot of the folks we talked to that were aliens, you know, once they saw that makeup, they really did a complete transformation into what they thought that alien was. Whereas mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like with Nan, Nan was more just maybe perhaps the idealized version of a police officer that you wanted to be. Does that sound like it could be accurate? Yeah, yeah, about that. Like, uh, I don't know if she... I don't know if she made choices that I would necessarily make, but um, <laughs> but that's that's not me. That's you know, it's the characters, the writers. So, um, but yeah, I think more of non as a char character, as a as a you know, I think more of that came out once I once there was more. I think that came out about not for me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I could definitely see that. You know, because yeah. I was going to actually ask as a follow up to that was, yeah. you know, having just watched a bunch of the episodes you were in again, watching that very first episode and then seeing the final appearance, it's it's absolutely night and day for the character. <laughs> and uh, and especially, you know, looking at that first episode, a lot of the dialogue you had was not like the most inspiring kind of dialogue. It was uh, <laughs> uh, it almost felt like you were just kind of there to support their cast members to be like, there to go like, wow, that's cool. Yep. And then in the final episode that Nan is there, there's a lot more meat to that character. Yeah. So, um, you know, as they're adding more things to the script also, I'm just curious, you know, like what kind of did make Nan come together for you? I, I it's the script really that's what it is and trying to figure out what they you know the script and the direction what they were looking for and then me bringing what I thought that they were looking for and what felt right for non and then being redirected potentially on the day and being flexible enough to like do what they need me to do mm. does that make sense is that yeah is that, so, so yeah I think we've heard that before from other folks where they kind of just say they're in service to the script and that's what maybe you were feeling mm -hmm. yeah yeah. You know, I hope, I hope no one thinks there's anything wrong with that. Um, I just think Nan was one of those because she was also developed a little bit more too. I mean, everyone, the assumption was that Nan was around just to be with um, Connolly. That was his name, right? Connolly, yep. blue shirt, Sean. Uh, yeah. Connolly and Pike. And that was her role and Connolly goes. And so, so to me, when I first read those scripts, I was like, oh, I'm the red shirt that didn't die. So which is why <laughs> I loved wearing the red shirt so much. I was like, oh, I'm the, you know, cause that, you know, shout out to TOS. And, and um, so, I, so that's really how I took it is just, this is, this is my role to play. And this is just what I'm going to do with this. You know, there wasn't, it's not like, it's not like with, rookie blue where I, you know, I knew Marlo was bipolar and that was an angle that I could really go with and really understand and bring up characteristics. I think non being security, you know, eventually chief of security and everything there's, she's like a statue. Like she's, that's just how she's going to be serious all the time. And she's just going to be very straight faced and this is work and there's no joking. And, but then once she becomes, once they brought me back and then 
I remember with that script, you know, uh, Pike says, well, you know, Commander Non is asked to stay. And then I was like, oh, like when I read that, I was like, oh. And then when I saw the blue uniform, I was like, oh, so Non is staying. So then all of a sudden you understand that she's going to have a rapport with the bridge crew, whether you see it or not, she's going to be way more open to them because this is her new family, as opposed to when she was with Pike, her family was enterprise. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of a big thing with the show. I mean, the show is called literally discovery and it's really about all the characters discovering who they are. And, and I want to definitely get into that a little bit more later on, but I got to ask you something else before we start jumping into these kind of real defining moments for non. Uh, and I love hearing about the wardrobe on Discovery, and I've heard all sorts of different stories about it. And you got to wear so many different outfits as Nan. I mean, uh, let's yes. just first start with that red outfit. You got to do the mini skirt. Uh, tell me about that. Like, was it constraining? Was it comfortable? How was it? Oh, that was so great. I want my red jacket so bad, too. I know it's somewhere in Those stores, jackets are right? awesome. Oh, it was so good. And, like, to have – Gersha is brilliant. Her team is brilliant brilliant they are they were building stuff on me it was it was wild to wear the first of certain uniforms it was a really you know um it was a really amazing thing and I remember walking into a wardrobe for the first time and seeing an illustration and remember I mentioned I I was you know did illustration in school and um especially fashion and to see me or my conceptualized character wearing all these different outfits on the board. It was, it was so cool. So the, the red uniform was awesome. I remember in the screen test, that was the outfit I wore in the screen test. And we tried pants, we tried bare legs with the tall boots. We tried, you know, a bunch of different things, but the, I loved the, the boots that went all the way up under the skirt. I thought that was so cool and very, very utility too, you know, like it, you know, it, it, yeah, she's wearing a skirt, but she's still able to be security and, you know, fight and do all of this stuff. So I love that. And again, it's, it's, you know, takes me back with my mom watching the show. And so that was a good outfit. Yeah. A little bit of Trek trivia. You can probably correct me if I'm wrong, because you're actually on the set, but I think it's only you and Raven Dowda who have skirts with their uniforms. That's well, we both had the scant, right? We yep. both wore the scant. Um, cause Non's like the first, the enterprise is a skirt with the jacket, but then when the blue and then Raven with the white, um, it's the full scant. And then also Oyen wore oh, that true. as well in, in a mirror universe episode. I think it's, it's, I think it's a great look. It's, it's sort of owed to the time, you know, like it was it early 2000s, a skirt over pants. And I used to love that <laughs> fashion trend. So I was totally in for that. Yeah. <laughs> And like I mentioned, you got to wear a bunch of different outfits. So you already mentioned the blue Discovery uniform. You also got to do the EV suit. And also in that first episode, the uh, what I like to call the Red Power Ranger costume. Yeah. <laughs> so of all those things, which was the one you just didn't like the most? If there was one that you didn't like. Um, My favorite was the EV suit because it was so comfortable. Really? The EV suit was yeah. comfortable? Yeah. I loved it. And I how, loved how was that comfortable? I got to hear that. <laughs> It was, it was just because you're in like a onesie, you're in like a jumpsuit. It is. And I'm a onesie person. I love onesies. So <laughs> it just to be in that jumpsuit and the boots were super comfortable. And um, the vest, the vest reminded me of bulletproof vests, right? So it was a very, it just felt right. And it felt good on none. Like it felt great for none. Um, the Power Ranger suit. I loved the actual suit itself. Again, very comfortable. Um, 
you sweat like crazy. So I felt disgusting. I would always be apologizing because they have to help you get out of it. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's hot. I'm sorry. It's moist. This is so disgusting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Everyone's probably <laughs> like, ew. Um, but um, the the pieces, the space, like the pieces on top were kind of uncomfortable. So it would be, you'd get sore, right? You'd really get sore because there's, you know, there's it pushed down on your shoulders and but those were the most comfortable boots, actually. Those ones with the Power Ranger suit, those were like space boots and they were so comfy. Um, but I didn't like the, the stuff that went around my chest as much as I loved the EV suit. Huh. Yeah, that's that's a surprising answer. I thought the EV suit would be like the most painful thing to possibly put on because that, that thing is a really cool looking outfit, but it looks like it's bulky. Uh, you're talking about the blue one, right? The blue yeah. EV suit? Yeah, no, it's no, that's yeah, that was my favorite. Seriously, it was my favorite. Yeah. I mean, it definitely looks the coolest. No argument there. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, someone who I love to hear stories about on this podcast is Doug Jones. Uh, did you ever get to have any advice or any awesome interactions that you can share with us today? I, I, you know, Doug, he just lights up everyone's life. He just lights up. I mean, there's so many people that do that on that set. But Doug is like with his singing and his stories and his like, just, he is so fun. He does this like, Oh, they, there was like faux fashion shows and sing-alongs and uh, cabaret. And it was like, those are really, really long days. So the fact that um, you had so many people that were so filled with energy and, and just laughter, it, it makes the days so fun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and he would always be the one, I don't know, just, I would see him every day in the makeup, tra- in the prosthetics trailer. Right. And so to have those mornings are so fun. You have music blasting and everyone's singing and it's, it's a real joy. And I'm very grateful to him because he was really good to me. So or is, is like Anthony Rapp and Doug Jones doing some like, and Wilson Cruz doing some rent songs together. Is that what's going on every morning? <laughs> well, there was definitely some of that. Anthony, I didn't get to see that often. I, I really, my first impression of Anthony, I remember he came up to me, we were w- walking by each other at the trailers and he goes, well, hello. When I was new, like one of my first days and he goes, what are you? And I was like, a Barzan. I didn't even know what that was at that time. I remember searching. I was like, what's Barzan, you know? And so Anthony, unfortunately I didn't get to see that often, but I love seeing him. Wilson, of course I got to see, um, but yeah. And Sonequa, like they're, they're just all of them and Mary and Emily and, Sarah, like, I mean, Patrick, Ron, like everyone, I just, everyone is just such a delight to be around. So I feel very lucky. Yeah. Everybody who I talked to from Discovery has all said the same thing to me. And that's the Discovery set is the best set they've ever worked on. Is that true for you too? Of, of course. It's, de- you know what, here's the thing. I, it's definitely up there. Um, I have been so lucky in my career to work on such amazing productions. I would say 90 in 15 years, 90 98% have been, I didn't want to leave. They were so fun. And Discovery is definitely, definitely one of those. Yeah. I have to give kudos to all the shows because they were, they were all really good to me, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> I can't play favorites here. I, you know, you know, I'd love to, but <laughs> for the sake of the podcast, we'll just lie and say, obviously Discovery is your favorite. Obviously Discovery is my favorite. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> So there's two episodes that I think are really defining moments for the character of Nan. And uh, the first one is the episode Project Daedalus. 
uh, where you get to have some intense action scenes with Sneekwa and Hannah Cheeseman as Arium. Uh, it's a very important episode also to show Nan as a part of the crew and really coming into her own as a character. Uh, and, you know, we really get to see her confidence build up here as well. So uh, I'd love to hear some stories about this episode, because there's a lot of stunt work here. Again, you're in those really awesome EV suits. Uh, what what memories stand out for you from doing that episode? Uh, they're probably not even, I mean, they're related to the episodes. It has nothing to do with me in the episode. But um, my my favorite moments, actually, of that episode were watching the stunt rehearsals. Um, to I remember sitting, and Sonequa's husband and son were in, uh, were watching one day when she was working with Hannah and I was in as well. And I, I was taking pictures of them because I love being behind the camera. I was taking pictures of them and, um, and just even video and watching them with the stunt stunt performers. And, you know, there's two sets of, of Ariums and Michael Burnham's working side by side. It was amazing. It was just so fun to watch. And those girls are spectacular human beings. And, and, um, that was that was Hannah's episode. You know what I mean? That was yeah. her episode. And I think character-wise with Non, um, I think she 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 feels like for the first long time, actually, the first season I was in, I think there's I think it took up to that for Non to not be the outsider or seen as the outsider. I mean, there's very it's sprinkled throughout the season where Non gives an input and everyone's sort of like, who are you? And she's like, oh, Non, you know, like, so that, that was a, out of everyone that could have opened that airlock, Non, I think was the best choice. Um, because not only is it her job, but she also wasn't as attached at that point, she's not as attached to the crew as, as Arium is obviously right. Yeah, so, I felt like she had to make the the tough choice, which she didn't seem to want to have to make, but she had to do it as part of her duty. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we should mention, too, that this episode is directed by Jonathan Frakes, and I love yeah. hearing Frakes stories, too, take Frakes. Uh, what was it like <laughs> being directed by Jonathan Frakes? He, you know, you can always tell when you're working with an actor's director or a director that's been an actor, you can always tell because he's just so immersed in that. I mean, you know, we're on the bridge and there's like explosions going off, but we're not hearing explosions, right? But we are because then Jonathan Frakes would be like, and then this comes in, boom! And, and you know, and he would just give you the effect and he's got a booming voice, you know? So he was great. He was, uh, you know, and he'd pop into the makeup trailer and chat with them. You know, you could tell there was times where he'd be like, ah, I want to be on the other side of the camera, you know? Um, but he was great. He was, yeah, he was great. Now, let's talk about Nan's final appearance, at least as of now in season three, the final appearance of Nan, which is uh, Die Trying. And uh, yeah, I'd like to know, when did you find out that this would be the end, at least for now, uh, the end of Nan's character? Oh, this question. Um, <laughs> I knew early. I knew, like I was, you know, like I said before, I was finishing up Mary Kills People. And then we started talking about the contract and the show and all of that stuff. And um, I feel... Yeah, I, I knew early and they knew early and it was sort of, it's hard to, it's hard to explain because there's so many aspects to Nan's journey in season three. There's so many aspects as to why, and I can't just explain it in one simple thing, but um, I have to leave it at this, that uh, the powers that be have been so good to me from beginning to end and they have 
the fact that they gave me a send off like that and left it open. Um, the fact I have such a good rapport with everyone. I mean, I, I, I just feel very grateful uh, for the time that I've had with them and time that I could have with them. Um, I think they, the way they left it for me is, is very kind, um, to have it open, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Now, I remember watching it the first time and seeing the uh, opening teaser, if you will, the, the previously on Discovery thing that rolls by. <laughs> and I noticed they were showing so much more of Nan than they usually did. And I'm like, oh, no, something's going to happen to Nan. <laughs> and sadly, it was the end, unfortunately. But yeah, like I said, it was open-ended, which is great. Uh, and it's it's an episode that really does tug on your heartstrings, I think, and like really shows Nan going through a lot, processing her emotions and ultimately choosing to start this new family on the Tikov. Uh, so I'm curious on a personal level, what did Rachel bring into this episode to make it more real for her? Oh, I think I tell you, all those tears are real. I think uh, Maya, the director, she had to like rein me in a few times, um, I think, because I got very emotional. And even in the read through, I've said this before, even in the read through, I was sobbing. I felt ridiculous because I was not being professional, but it was very difficult for me to even at the read through. And I'd read the script several times before the read through. And it was still very tough to to get through that script. Um, I honestly was expecting action. I was expecting. I was not expecting Non's episode or her send off to be emotional like that. So um, that was a lot of Rachel leaving and you know choices I made and you know and 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 so saying goodbye to Sneak was well. And that was my last scene. One of my last scenes, like the very final scene I did of that episode shooting was standing at the window and looking at discovery leaving. Oh, wow. Um, but, but Sonequa, my goodbye, that was my real like last scene. And it was, it was, you know, they, they joke, Oh, people have like peppermint sticks and stuff to put under your eyes to make you cry. No, none of that was needed. I, I just, I, yeah, I sobbed. And when I gave her hugs, it was like, I don't know if that was non or Rachel or a blend of the two, but it was like, you know, hugs from both of us to Sonequa slash Burnham. Yeah. And I think the thing that I find maybe endearing about the character of Nan is that having talked to you today now, especially learning more about how the character comes together, is that Nan really feels like an extension of Rachel. So, I mean, it really feels like you're, you're just in general blurring the lines of the two characters, so rather the duality of the character and Rachel. I mean, uh, so I could totally understand why you had maybe some problems separating the two and, and it really made for some uh, great TV, but I'm sure horrible <laughs> crying on the actual set. No, hey, whatever works, you know, you got to get the shot done, whatever works, you just use it. Um, but I don't often do that blend. The t- I don't, I usually keep things very, very separate. But I think the way that non came about in my life, it, we, we grew together, we sort of developed together. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm. That hasn't really happened. For, you know, usually with other shows I've been on, the, the parameters are set, and I know what to expect. I know what I'm, you know, it's for this amount of time, and it's this and this is the, all the details I have about the character, but with Nan, we we were learning. I was learning about her, I think, as much as maybe everybody else was along the way. So, um, I think it was easier to blend the two together. You know, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. 
So Rachel, this is kind of an oddity here, but like one of the moments I really enjoyed with you in Discovery was you had some time with Michelle Yeoh in one of the episodes, and it got me almost like feeling like, oh, is, is she going to go to Section Thirty One? Like, what's going to happen to Nan? Like, I got really excited for that possibility. Um, but yeah. you know, besides the story plot stuff that's happening here, uh, I would love to know what it's like working with Michelle Yeoh because I just love her and everything she's in. I was so intimidated. I don't get intimidated like super easily, but I was so intimidated. I mean, you have Giorgio and then you have Michelle Yeoh and then you have two of them together. And it's like, whoa, it's, it's very, she is such an amazing human and she's so kind and generous and she's lovely. Um, but it's Michelle Yeoh, you know, like it's like, oh my gosh, it was, it was amazing. And to actually get to play with her and to have fun scenes, um, even with lines like AI sausage and yum, yum. Um, it was like, it was still it's such a good time together. I, I did anyway. So it, she's an amazing lady. Yeah. Amazing. And I know you can't actually give anything away about what goes on behind the scenes, but I felt like the fact that, uh, from a character perspective, Giorgio is suddenly taking an interest in Nan, and I'm like, is she trying to bring her into section 31? Uh, was this perhaps an area you wanted to have Nan go into as well? Or did you feel that Nan was content just being part of Starfleet on the Discovery Bridge? I think Nan goes where she's told. I think she's just very obedient that way. She follows orders. Um, but I, I don't know. I, you know what I'd really love, to be honest with you? I mean, I, I'd love to go to Section 31. Um, I would also love if they did a flashback of Enterprise before Spock came on. If they ever did something with Pike, I'd love for Nan to be there on Enterprise. Um, if it was ever a flashback, because obviously she she can't go there because she's in the future. But um, either of those, that would be so fun, so fun. I w- even pop up and uh, you know surprise Lieutenant uh, Ransom. You know what I mean? Like, come <laughs> on, let's just let's just cross the bridges a little bit. No pun intended. You know? Why not? Exactly. I mean, I'm curious, you know, to know that if you did come back to Trek at some point, would you want to revive Nan or do you want to be someone else? Do you want to just be uh, a human without having all the prosthetics on or do you want to continue being aliens? Uh, what would be your goal if you did get a second shot at returning to this, the franchise? I think um, I think they have enough humans. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> I think I when do you ever get to play an alien? You know, I would play human in all my other characters. I think playing an alien is is great. Um my preference definitely would be with non, of course, but I would never say no to other potentials. You know, it, it, I'm always open for a discussion, but non is definitely my preference. And I didn't think people would love her as much as they do. I can't believe how much love that character gets. And so, come on, I got to revive non, you know? <laughs> I mean, Nan absolutely grew on me. It was really sad to see uh, her story end, but hopefully, hey, there's you know still a possibility you guys can run into each other again in the future, right? So we'll see what That's happens it. there. That's right. Yep. She's just doing a mission. She's yeah. just taking some vacation time with her family. That's all. Get some PTO. That's all. Exactly. <laughs> so looking back on your two seasons on Discovery, uh, is there anything that you wish you could have done differently on the show? No, actually. There's tons of stuff I would do differently on other shows I've been or choices I've made, but no, with none. Nope. I think, I think she's great. What, with what happened with her? I, I, no, I wouldn't change anything to be honest with you at all. Not one thing. Do you think I should be changing something? No, you, I don't think so at all. <laughs> okay, great. Good. Okay. <laughs> non is perfect. Uh, I, I ship non. Hey, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Thank you. All right, so big picture question now for you, Rachel. What's something that you know today that you wish you knew 
years ago, maybe when you were first come up in this industry? That everything was going to be okay, that I was going to be a working actor and that I was going to make a living off of working as an actor. Um, there were so many times throughout where I was like, what am I doing with my life? And every time I would get like that and just think I hit rock bottom, I would book something. So I wish I could go back and tell myself when I was really panicking, everything's going to be fine. And you won't believe the stuff you're going to be doing in, you know, however many years and you'll be on Star Trek and you'll be on all these different shows. I wish I could have told myself that. I think I would have saved myself a lot of stress. (laughs) (laughs) What's a piece of advice that someone gave you, whether it was about life or acting that you still think about and still use every day? Um when I was, this is one of my earliest memories in kindergarten is there used to always be a word of the day. And I remember there was this word perseverance and it was such a big word. And I remember going home and asking my mom, what does perseverance mean? And she goes, you keep trying, you keep trying. And so I've, I have never forgotten that perseverance. And I think in this business, that's what you always have to keep your eye on. It's perseverance. So that's what I got for you. (laughs) <laughs> Great. Great answer. So as we know, currently, uh, season four of Star Trek Discovery, we're not going to necessarily be seeing Nan. We don't know. She could pop up, but uh, we don't know as of now. But uh, these days you're questions. working. <laughs> <laughs> but these days I know that you're working on a show called Nurses. So uh, do you want to tell us about Nurses and what else you're doing right now? I, yeah, I was actually I finished. Um, that was my pandemic project. Actually, ah. um, we were shooting in 2020. We started in February and I think we went till the end of March when everything got shut down. And we were the first production in Toronto, if not Canada, to return. We were back in July and we were the first production also to finish without anybody getting sick, any incidents at all. So that was something to be really proud of. And it was such a great, I mean, it's a medical show. So it's quite the set to be on during a pandemic. You know, you're in a <laughs> hospital setting. Um, but it was so fun. It was so nice to be back there. I like to be back with a bunch of people I'd worked with before because some of the, the executive producers. I knew them from Ricky Blue days or Mary Kills People. So um, it, I when I go back to a like a Canadian set, I also feel like I'm going home. It's it's crazy because you, you you get to know all the crew right through all the different productions you worked on, and so I had such a good time with them. And the cast was amazing, and um, it was a great ride. It was it was really really fun. Um, I just finished a guest spot on something else. And, you know, it's the way of the actor. You're always just plugging forward for the next job. But I've also um, recently, earlier this year, I started working with a writer. And he and I, um, we turned one of his books into a script. And then we took a pitch that I had done seven years ago when I was in Newfoundland. Um, I fell in love with Newfoundland. And I wrote this pitch idea. And I, like I said, I met him earlier this year. And after we were finished with his script, I threw him this pitch and he loved it. And he was like, let's turn this into a script. And so we've turned that into a script. And I was just out in Newfoundland, uh, like a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, it was amazing to know that our script was finished. And there, there's this project I started seven years ago and it was like full circle being back in Newfoundland. And so we've just sent that pitch Bible off. And so here's hoping it would be great to sell some stuff, but, Eventually, what I'd really love to do is is be directing as well. Um, so with doing these pitches and the writing and stuff, it's it's really what these are for me are stepping stones towards directing and just um, 
yeah, working with great crews and great people. Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned directing, I'm not surprised by that because, you know, as we talked about way earlier in this interview, uh, illustration was something you wanted to do. And I feel like if you're an illustrator, you're a storyteller. So I could, and you're a visual storyteller. So I could definitely see a clear attraction there. Uh, and so, you know, of course, to bring this back to Star Trek because we have to. Yes. Uh, were you on set kind of like, you know, eyeballing the directors, seeing what they do, trying to pick things up from them? A hundred percent. That was the worst part about quarantine, like about COVID times on nurses is I couldn't do that. Um, but on Trek, absolutely. And there's this photo of Maya and I, and I love this photo because it, it was like an onset photo that the onset photographer captured. And it, she and I are both staring at one of the cameras and really what she's doing is she's explaining to me. Um, I don't know if we were talking about lenses at that point, but the camera guys were awesome. They would share with me, even the, the lighting, I would ask questions and I, I wouldn't impose on that. You know, it's if we have time and I'm not interrupting them while they're trying to work, but everyone was always very free with giving me information. And I, and I was constantly observing and where the cast would always sit, we were right near video village. So it was easy to sort of just hang out and kind of keep an eye and watch what, you know, and some of the directors would show me the takes and I, you know, I'd sit back and Victor, he would always do playback for me. Like he would show me, and it was just really neat to see it from that perspective and to understand how, because they would talk about cutting it together. So I was learning a lot while, while being paid to be an actor. I also had a bit of an education as well. And it was, it was really, really good. Yeah. Well, as excited as I am for a possible return of non some point down <laughs> the future in Discovery, I now kind of want to see uh, Rachel in the director's chair for an episode of any Star Trek show. So maybe that's what can happen a few years from now. Oh, yeah, I got to I'm gonna have to really, really build up a resume to do that. Yeah. Um, work, work on that techno babble, too. Ex exactly. Thank God I didn't have very much techno babble to uh, say myself. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you, I still remember the Italian I had to speak when the universal translator was not functioning. <laughs> yes. So I that's how much that's the certain lines when you have to drive them into your head. Sometimes they never leave. <laughs> They're Can I put you on the spot and ask you what that line was? Yeah. Um, Il trattatore universale non funziona. <laughs> I don't know if I did that right, but it was pretty close. Uh, sounds good for me. I'll take it. Yeah, okay, good. Take it. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rachel, last thing for today. Uh, sure. What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, the people. 100% the people. I have never... Like I said to you, I've had, I've experienced fandoms before, but this fandom is unlike anything. I think anything out there. Um, I have never received such kind messages. I've met so many great people through Trek, like just through sending me messages and we still talk. And it's been a couple years later. Um, it, it, that's really special to be connecting with people that I never would have met possibly. I mean, maybe we would have, but you know, from all parts of the world, it's, that's pretty spectacular. I think that is definitely the highlight for me, for sure. And as you know, I love people. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you so much for chatting with us today and telling us not just all these great Star Trek stories, but just everything else about who you are. And I think, you know, a lot of those decisions have clearly informed your acting and performing choices in the best way possible. And, uh, you know, if you do get a chance to be in that director's seat someday, I think all these different tools that you have in your toolbox are going to really shine and just make you a very well-rounded director. So, uh, you know, I look forward to hopefully seeing you again in the Star Trek universe. But if not, yes. uh, I wish you the best for everything out there beyond in the infinity. You're wonderful. Thank you very much. There's lots of compliments in there for me. and I appreciate them. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for having me as well. Yeah. 
That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold or pick up some merchandise from our Redbubble store. If you're looking for direct links for any of these things, links will be right in the show notes. Special thanks to Cool Waters Productions for providing us with this week's guest. Check out inhouse-con.com for info on upcoming events with all of their Star Trek clients and other celebs they work with. And head over to coolwatersprod.com to pick up autographs and more from all of them. If you have any questions or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest, or discuss any sponsorship ideas with us, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Trek Untold and for continuing to support this show. I hope you'll come back next time to learn more stories about Star Trek and beyond. Until then, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and always remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the RageWorks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.